Welcome to the Gospel in Lagos, the sermon podcast of City Church. City Church is a community of worshippers and mission. We exist to catalyze a gospel-centered movement that renews Lagos spiritually, socially, and culturally. You can find out more about us at www.citychurchlagos.com. City Church, love Jesus, love people, love Lagos. going to take a Bible reading from Genesis 3 verses 8 to 19 and after the reading I will say this is the word of the Lord and we will respond with thanks be to God. Genesis 3 8 to 19 verse 8 then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as was walking in the garden in the cool of the day and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, Where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid, because I was naked, so I hid. And he said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? The man said, The woman you put here with me, she gave me some of the fruit of the tree. And I ate it. Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this you have done? The woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. So the Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and all wild animals. You will crawl on your belly, and you will eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and ours. He will crush your head, and you will strike his heel. To the woman he said, I will make your pains in childbearing very severe. With painful labor, you will give birth to children. Your desire will be for your husband, and he will rule over you. To Adam he said, Because you listened to your wife and ate fruit from the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat from it. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil, you will eat food from it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. Verse 19. By the sweat of your brow, you will eat your food until you return to the ground, since from it you were taken. For dust you are, and to dust you will return. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good morning again. Um, It is a season of Advent, right? Season of Advent. My oldest daughter is 13, and she is taking Latin classes at school right now. So she's learning to read and write and a little bit speak in in Latin. And she, the other day she said, you know what Advent means in Latin, Dad? Because she knows, and so she wants to teach me Latin. So she said, you know what it means? I said, actually, you know, I can't remember exactly what it means. And she said, it means the arrival. It means the arrival. And so if you've heard this word, Advent, it's something that Christians have celebrated, have thought through for centuries. That is, when we come up on the Christmas season, 
it's easy to get caught up in a lot of the good things. So uh, Femi and Tosin yesterday went to a Christmas end-of-year concert at their son's school. Um, I know my family is in the middle of buying gifts for friends and family, right? I know that we're looking forward to snow. Actually, yesterday I got a message from my wife, and it snowed in Chicago. So Christmas and snow, for me, where I come from, they go together. And we're excited about that. And I know that I like to spend time with family. I know that I like to eat all of the good food that comes at Christmas time. I don't know. That's where I come from. Is that true here also? You, you hang out with family. Sometimes you travel long distances to be with family. You make delicious meals. You open gifts. Christmas is wonderful. But Advent, this idea of the arrival, it reminds us that Christmas isn't only these good things. It is much, much, much more. It is the Christian on purpose looking forward to the coming, the arrival. It's remembering that God himself came to earth and became one of us. That's amazing. And Advent is remembering that coming. It's, it's saying Christmas, yes, there are lots of good things about it, but Christmas is, is about God himself becoming a person and living among us on our behalf. So today, we're looking at Advent. We're looking at the very first proclamation of the Advent, of the arrival in the Bible. Okay, so that's why we looked at Genesis 3. Have you read Genesis 3 before? This passage with Adam and Eve, the forbidden fruit? One of the most famous passages in all of the Bible, right? I mean... It's so famous that often you, you see it in, our, in art, Adam and Eve in the garden. You hear it in song. You see it in poetry. It's, th- this story in the Bible is so famous that it's bled into pop culture. Even people who aren't Christians refer to Adam and Eve and the forbidden fruit and this first sin, the original sin, right? So there's something going on here, and I think if we want to... If we want to understand what happens many, many thousands of years later after Adam and Eve, if we want to understand the arrival of God himself in Jesus Christ, then we must go backward and first say, what happened in Genesis 3? Right? You know, um, about 10 or 15 years ago, my wife and I went to the movies And at this time, we went to the movies quite a bit. You know, we only had one kid. It was easier to go on a date to the movies. And we were running late. The traffic was bad. Mexico City and Lagos have a lot in common. Traffic is terrible. And we got to the movie theater, and it was really difficult to park. There were cars everywhere. So by the time we got into the movie theater, um, we were running a few minutes late. But we thought, no problem. There are previews. We'll, we'll just miss the previews. We'll miss the trailers before the movie. But we, we ran in. We got our tickets. We raced past the... the we, we handed in our tickets, and we raced into the theater, and we sat down, and, and we noticed the movie had already started. And we thought, man, that's amazing. There must have not been very many previews. So even though the movie had already started, I immediately was very fascinated by this movie. Um, it was beautiful. It was... Uh, the. The cinematography was, was gorgeous. It was a period movie out on the ocean with high old masted ships in the, in the 1700s. It was just beautiful. And I was interested in the characters, too. I, I thought, this is, this is really interesting. I just found myself captivated by the movie. 
But the whole time I watched it, I thought, there's something I missed at the beginning. Because I don't quite understand what the tension is here between the protagonist and the antagonist, between the hero and the villain, right? Well, 50 minutes into the movie, the credits started to roll. The movie was over. And you know what happened? We went into the wrong theater. <laughs> I only watched half the movie. And I had no idea. And, and the reason I was, I was fascinated with this movie, I was interested in the characters, but I didn't understand because I missed the beginning of the story. Now listen, perhaps you are like me with the Bible. You've heard of Jesus. You think he's captivating. He might be fascinating. You want to know more. You find yourself wanting to watch and listen. But there's something that you think, I'm missing. I don't understand what the tension is. Why did he need to come at all? Are you with me? We need the first half of the story. We need to understand what the problem is. And that's what we see in Genesis 3. That's what we see, this, this beautiful and and terrible passage that we read together. This, this unfolding of the first sin, the first time people lived outside of God's created intent for them. Are you with me? We're going to look at two things. There's, there is so much we could, we could cover today. We could talk about the serpent, Satan, uh, uh, why he was there, what he was doing, how that happened, talking through a snake. This is weird. We could talk a long time about it. It's a good question. We could talk about the specifics of God's pronouncement over Adam and Eve and the serpent, his judgment. We could go through all of that verse by verse. And it's good. Sometime you should do that. You should ask Femi. He's like, no, why are you doing this to me? Uh, th these are good questions. But today, we're looking at this through the lens of the advent of the arrival of Jesus himself, of God himself, to this place, to earth, right? And so in order to do that, what we're going to do is we're going to look at this in, through two, with, with two points. One is, here we learn a lot about human nature. We learn about what comes naturally to people. And we're going to talk about human nature, and we learn a lot about God's nature. We're going to talk about what is natural in, in the character of God, right? So human nature and God's nature. Are you with me? Does this sound good? All right. So human nature, right away, did you notice in the few verses that we read, we pick up right after Adam and Eve, they had disobeyed God, they ate the fruit, they, they, they called into question God's trustworthiness when they ate the fruit. He, he set out, this perfect, this perfect place for them. Everything was provided. Everything. You know, this is interesting because sometimes, uh, at least where I'm from, when something goes wrong, people blame the environment, right? They're like, well, the, 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 the boys are violent in school because the school's environment isn't adequate. Um, well, the, the guys on the street are, are, are abusive to their wives because of the environment they grew up in. Now listen to me. Adam and Eve had a perfect environment. It was flawless. And they still made the wrong decision. That's good to remember. There's something going on here with human nature. There's something going on here with, with the character of Adam and Eve. 
But when God set out for them was this perfect environment. It was a perfect place. Every provision made for them. Every, the relationship that they shared with each other didn't have all of the stuff that the relationships that you and I have with each other, all of these misunderstandings, all of the confusion, all of the, I didn't mean to say that. What I meant was, have you ever done that? It didn't, they didn't ever have that. That never happened. They, they had this perfect communication with each other and with God. Here in the passage, we learn that it was normal for them in the cool of the afternoon to walk with God. Imagine. Imagine this kind of place, if you can, where, where everything is so set out in beauty that every day you take a walk with the Creator. Marvelous. God created Adam and Eve beautiful and perfect, and his, his, his created nature for them was just right. And he created them, listen, free. He, he created them with liberty. Now, you might have to help me. In the United States, when we think of liberty, when we think of freedom, almost always people think of liberty as freedom from something. Freedom from restriction. Freedom from tyranny. Right? Is that true here? That's what liberty means? That's what freedom means? God's, God's wonderful vision for Adam and Eve was not just freedom from tyranny. It was freedom for loving him. So we look at the tree. We look at the forbidden fruit. God gave them one command, one. Everything else was taken care of. And he gave them this. He put this tree in the garden, in the middle of the garden, and he said, don't eat of that. That's all he said. And he set that out. Why? Because he was concerned for freedom for loving him. If, if, if Adam and Eve hadn't had the tree, this is a common question. I've asked it. Perhaps you've asked it. Why did God put the tree there in the first place? He messed up. No, no, no. God wants absolute liberty for his people. He put the tree there for his own sake. You see, he's, he's the perfect, masterful, wonderful creator who provided everything for Adam and Eve that they could ever need. And then he said, do you trust me? Can you love me in return? That's the tree. It's about freedom for loving God. Without it, there is no option. It's a beautiful place. It's a beautiful garden. But without that tree, without that option, there is no freedom to love God. Do you see? So we see Adam and Eve, this perfectly created order, and their beautifully created nature. Adam and Eve's nature was created, we know, in the image of God. So when God set out and he created all of his good work after each day. I, I understand you just recently looked at Genesis 1 and 2 as a church. Is that true? So a after God, every, every act of his creation, he stepped back and he said, wow, this is good. Have you ever created something? Have, have you, perhaps we have some artists, we got some musicians in the room. Have you written a song or a poem and you're like, if I do say so myself, that's pretty good. You know, God looked at all of this stuff and he said, this is good. 
And so we have, we have the, <laughs> the person, the, the, the being in all of the universe who understands goodness better than anyone saying his creation was good. And then his crowning achievement, Adam and Eve, humanity, and he steps back and he gasps and he says, very good. You see, there is created nature in Adam and Eve that is beautiful and good. And we must remember this. We must hang on to the fact that God created them beautiful and good, very good. But we must not miss also what they do here in Genesis 3. Their created nature becomes corrupted. Doubt and sin and disobedience enters in and it bends, it breaks their created nature, God's created intent for them, right? If you read a few verses earlier, the serpent, Satan, he approaches Eve and he says, did God really say, did God really say that you must not eat from the tree? It's an interesting question because he doesn't, He doesn't outright say to Eve, God's wrong, he's dumb, you're right. He plants a seed of doubt in her mind. And she plants in turn the seed of doubt in Adam. And they begin to ask, is God trustworthy? Can I trust my life to him? Is that that my best option? Or am I better off listening to myself? And it's this seed. This is the sin of Adam and Eve. The tree isn't magic. It has no mystical power. No, no, no. The sin of Adam and Eve is calling into question the trustworthiness and the love of the Almighty Creator God who has only ever done everything perfect for them. His his track record is flawless. And they sit back and they say, I wonder, does God love me? Is, is, my well-being, is my well-being the best in his hands according to his commands? Or am I better off on my own? That's when they sin. That's the heart sin. That's the mind sin. That eating the fruit is just the body following the heart. So Adam and Eve, what happens here, and the Bible repeats this over and over again, they point back to Adam's sin. They they point back to this beginning, and they say, there, the, the created nature of humanity, the image of God, became corrupted. And you and I, we are descendants of this corrupted nature all the way through time. So we have these, this kind of conflicting at war nature in people, the image of God and the sinful nature. The image of God and the sinful nature. And listen, so many people forget one or the other. All the time. If you are someone who tends to forget that people are image bearers of God, that he created people in his own image, that he stepped back and said, this is very good. If you forget that, then you will abuse those around you. Then you will take advantage of those who, are, who, are, uh, who work for you, who are employed by you. Th- then you will cheat on your taxes. Then you will begin to um, 
then you will be the kind of person that verbally abuses your family or loved ones. Why? Because you're, you're not taking into account the image of God. This is holy, it's sacred, and it's built into every person. But if you are someone who forgets the sinful nature, then you will be confused and baffled every time something evil happens in this world. You'll throw up your hands and say, Why, God? Forgetting that humans are the ones that are committing the sin, not God. There's, there's this insidious serpentine nature in people passed down from Adam and Eve when they corrupted the created intent of God. Do you see? We must have both of, understand both of these natures of people. They're both true. And if we err on one side or the other, then we're forgetting something critically important. You know, where, again, where I'm from, um, people, it's much, much easier for them to forget the sinful nature part of people. Um, it's much easier in Chicago for people to think people are basically good. I hear this kind of stuff all the time. Fundamentally, everyone is a good person, really. If you just, if you just give them the right things, if you just treat them the right way, everyone really is pretty good. Now, our own experience testifies against that, doesn't it? Yes. Yeah. And so we, we, have to, we have to understand this. You know, Beatrice Webb, she was one of the principal architects of the British welfare system um, around the turn of the century. So around 1900, she was helping to build the system in England that, tr that cared for the poor. And she, she wrote in a journal in 18, 1890, I have her quote here. She wrote in her journal, in her diary, this, quote, I have staked everything on the essential goodness of human nature. I have staked everything on the essential goodness of human nature. Now, 35 years after she wrote this, she went back to her diary, she saw what she wrote, and then she said this. Listen, this is amazing. She said, now, 35 years later, I realize how permanent are the evil impulses and instincts in all of us, and how little they seem to change, like greed for wealth or power, and how mere social machinery will never change that. We must ask better things from human nature, but will we get a response? No amount of science or knowledge has been of any avail. And unless we curb the bad impulse, how will we get better institutions? Now, I don't know about you, but this rings true for me. In my city in Chicago, this year, we, last week, we just surpassed 700 murders. For the first time in two decades, there is an evil impulse in people. And here we have Beatrice Webb, one of the people who is the most motivated to believe in the fundamental goodness of people. She arrives at the conclusion, it's not true. There's fundamental badness in people. And Genesis 3 would tell us why the created intent of God has been corrupted. It's been ruined. It's been broken. It's been bent. We must remember that. Holding in one hand 
his created intent and holding in the other our sinful natures. You know, we've talked about human nature. What do you notice about God's nature? We see him, we see him uh, speak. He, he pronounces this pronouncement over people and over the serpent. That's most of what we read. We, we opened up with Adam and Eve's, their, kind of their response, their embarrassment and shame about the sin that they had committed. And then we move to, to God. And God enters in. He seeks Adam and Eve out, which is good. But then he pronounces judgment. And it's hard to read. It's hard for me to read. Is it hard for you to read? You have God pronouncing judgment over them. And so we learn something about God's nature. We learn that he is just. God is just. Now, again, in Chicago, where I'm from right now, there are many, many, many people who are deeply deeply um, saddened by the reality of the murder rate. And, and they, they, in unison almost, they, they're shaking their fists and they're saying, where's the justice? It's a good question. Where's the justice? What I would submit to you is that justice only can come after sound judgment. There's a group in Honduras right now, in Central America, Tegucigalpa has more murders than any other city in the world. And there's a group that has moved in of, of, of lawyers, actually. Usually, no, well, often lawyers don't help things. But in this case, I apologize if anybody's a lawyer in the room. I have lawyer family, so we make jokes all the time. Um, there's a group of lawyers who stepped in, and they're Christians, and they just begin to ask, why are all these murders happening in Tegucigalpa? Honduras. And they began to notice that almost none, more than 95% of all of the murders that take place in, in Honduras don't go, no, no criminal is charged. They don't go to trial. And what they found is, without judgment, there is no justice. Do you see? Now, on the south side of Chicago, the same thing is happening. More than 90% of all murders never go to trial. No one is charged. No one goes to jail. Of course there are murders. Because without judgment, there is no justice. So we can't cry out to God, where's the justice, and curse him when he judges. What we see here is a just God who steps in, who enters in when sin is done. He is so righteous. He is so mighty. He is so absolute. He will not tolerate not even one little tiny evil thing. He steps in and he judges. And, and praise be to his name that he does so. Because without judgment, there is no justice. So we learn of God's nature that he is just and he is righteous. But my brothers and sisters, here we are confronted with a very difficult reality. Right? Because on the one hand, if we have a God who does not judge, then there is no justice. And that means human sinful nature just runs amok and takes over. Frankly, if, if there was no justice at all in the world, we would all be dead. We would have blown each other up a long, long, long time ago, right? But if there is a God who judges unrighteousness and sin, 
then we're all dead. This is a problem. Our sinful natures have so distorted and ruined things that if there isn't a God who is just, then we're all dead. And if there is a God who is just, then we're all dead. So what must we do? This is the beauty of this passage. God enters in in judgment, and as as he is judging Satan himself, he whispers this promise. Did you hear it? Verse 15, he, he proclaims the gospel. Isn't it appropriate that the very first gospel proclamation is from God himself? You know, Bible scholars, people who have studied the word of God for hundreds, thousands of years, look at this verse, verse 15. Look at it again. Bring it on your phone. They look at this and they say, this is, another Latin word, the proto-evangelium. The first good news proclamation. So we learn of God. Yes, he is just. And that shouldn't be surprising. An almighty creator, we should expect to be righteous and just. What's surprising is verse 15, that God's nature is not only just, it is also profoundly merciful. He says to the serpent, listen, one day an offspring of the woman is going to come and crush your head. He will set all things right. Everything will be right again. Christ, if we want to understand this this second half of the story, Jesus incarnate, God himself made person, this is what we have to understand. Without a just God, we're dead. With a just God, we're dead. Except for Jesus. Why? Because God can be absolutely just. He never compromises anything of his righteousness. All of his perfect righteous judgment and wrath fall on Jesus. God remains perfectly just. But because all of his righteousness and wrath fall on Jesus, he remains and is surprisingly, shockingly, perfectly merciful. Anyone, anyone who says, oh God, look to Jesus, not to me, receives this gift and God's judgment, his good, good judgment, so that justice can be done, falls on Christ. And his immense mercy falls on you. It's the great Christian exchange. This, this thing that's unique to our faith, to the Christian faith, that, that you, if you receive Jesus, you receive, therefore, the life that he deserved. And he receives the death you deserved. Amazing, miraculous, profound. And the only thing that answers the questions that, that, that most devastate our communities and our cities, is, this is the only worldview that says, yes, God made people good, and yes, people have sinful, evil natures, and yes, God is just, and yes, God is merciful. All of that is found in Jesus, and only him. Nowhere else. Now to close, I want you to consider just for a moment 
one thing. When God put Adam and Eve in the garden, he gave them a command about a tree. He said, obey my command about this tree and you will live. And Adam and Eve disobeyed. Many, many generations later, he gave a command to another person in a garden, to Jesus, about a tree, about the cross. And he said, obey my command and you will die. And Jesus obeyed. It's staggering. Perfectly, perfectly just and perfectly, perfectly merciful to us. I, I, my prayer for this message, for this church, is that all of us, we begin to grasp the majesty of this God, of the advent, that God would arrive on our behalf, and that it would seep into our hearts that it would overcome our sinful natures, that we might glorify and worship Him. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Gospel in Lagos. We pray you've been blessed by this message. To learn more about City Church, visit www.citychurchlagos.com City Church, love Jesus, love people, love Lagos.